just days before the city decides whether it's going to be a viable city or a wasteland of corruption and mob action. Here we are on the Chicago Way, Jeff Carlin, John Cass, and joining us soon, Alderman Brendan Riley. But first, I have to say something. In the last few days, we've learned that Paul Bellis is not happy about Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, coming out to the suburbs to talk to the Fraternal Order of Police. And you know who else is not happy? Every Democrat office holder in the state. They're all screaming like, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you not rip DeSantis' skin off and burn him alive? Burn him, burn him alive like a witch. Here's the thing, everybody. Paul Bellis's obligation is not to be the Republican you always wanted to be, the DeSantis Republican, the Trump Republican. He's a Democrat, and his obligation is not anything like uh, I want you, want my good friend Dan Prof to be happy because he doesn't want Dan Prof to be happy, and I, I want Dan Prof to be happy because he's a friend of mine, even though we may disagree on this. But the obligation of Paul Bellis is to get elected. And how do you lose the runoff? By engaging in rhetorical traps set by Democrats like Pritzker, who's doing this, I think, for Lori Lightfoot or for his own design. If Paul Vallis engages in it, he'll lose. He should stand above it and remember that his only obligation is to the people of Chicago. The people of Chicago are his tribe. Not the Republicans, not the Democrats, not Black Democrats, not La Raza, not Chewy Garcia or Brandon Johnson or Lori Lightfoot, who's proven to be a racist. The people of Chicago are multicultural, and uh, they must be heard, too, because that's the tribe that counts. That's the tribe that will decide the next election for mayor of Chicago. And where are you? When the tribes are telling candidates what to do and how to stand and where, how to react, screaming and barking, as they always do, especially at times like this. You're on the Chicago Way podcast with John Cass, editor-in-chief of johncassnews.com, and Jeff Carlin, executive producer of WGN Radio, and Alderman Brendan Riley, just for you. So this is a guy who lives high on the hog and he has this Tammany Hall style attitude to power. And um, it is, it's the Chicago way. Absolutely. Look, the, the, the Chicago way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago way. The Chicago way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand. With pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. As promised, we're joined by Alderman. Brendan Riley of the North Side, the downtown alderman, the alderman who's complained for years about the state of the downtown, 
He supported Lori Lightfoot, as did I, and he doesn't support her now, as do I, because he's, she lost control of law enforcement downtown and let the city go to hell. Joining us now in the days up to the election, Brendan Riley. What do we have to look forward to, Alderman Riley? <laughs> well, John, I'm, I'm hoping we can look forward to having a new mayor on the fifth floor at City Hall. Um, like you said, you know, I supported Mayor Lightfoot like most of the city did. And I think we all had really high hopes for her. Um, an incredible resume, political outsider, promised us reform. Um, that all sounded really good. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't it wasn't delivered. <laughs> He had the, uh, it was the blank slate that, you know, that kind of blank slate that David Axelrod and Democratic political consultants love. And, uh, but it was blank for a reason. There was no there there. And in the last few days, she's revealed herself in a, to me personally, in a rather frightening fashion, playing the race card and massively like vote for me. Or don't come out. Don't leave your homes. If you don't vote for me and you're black, don't leave your home. It sounds suspiciously like uh, the late Eugene Pincham years ago. Don't, don't vote for Harold, or uh, you should be hung or hanged. <laughs> I always get that wrong, and I, I get it. <laughs> so one is one is about um, endowments, and the other is about uh, <laughs> rope. But I don't. I just, I just see her losing her mind and her bearings. I don't know what she expects, uh, gentlemen. What does she expect to? She's accomplishing here. Well, I, I think it's uh, she's she's come to terms with her flagging poll numbers and has realized for the first time, I think, during the entire campaign that there's a possibility she doesn't even make the runoff, um, and so. Um, you can see that in her rhetoric. You can tell that she's nervous about things. Um, she's making some unforced errors in front of the media. Certainly um, telling folks not to vote uh, is the absolute wrong message for any Democratic leader to be delivering to the electorate. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think we're seeing someone who's come to terms with the fact that she's not terribly popular with the electorate and um, is just realizing things aren't going so hot. And uh, I, I wish the mayor had gotten this wake-up call a couple of years ago. Things might have gone a little bit differently. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I can liken it to a parade. You know, I feel like throughout her candidacy, she's chasing everybody to be behind her. Oh, be behind me. And now she's turned around and there's no one there, right? She's all by herself in the street. <laughs> but it's pretty much right. Right. And it's, and she, you know, they say if you're explaining, you're losing. And she's done a lot of explaining lately. But what, one of the things I wanted to talk to you before we go, we get really into things is people need to know more about just how rotten this casino deal seems. Right. I mean, she's touting this thing as the savior to, to the city. And now it seems like it's a bad deal. Yeah, well, uh, you know, there are a few of us in the city council who raised these red flags, and she summarily dismissed them. Um, this was a total rush job, just like the parking meter deal was. Just hurry up, hurry up, hurry up and approve it. Don't ask so many questions. 
Um, but those of us who were asking questions didn't like the answers we were getting. Um, it is clear that, that Bally's is not well capitalized. Um, Wall Street has been telling us this for months. Um, and I think the gaming board is, is looking a little deeper into that. Um, I spent a couple hours talking with the gaming board about all the different flaws I saw in their, quote, vetting process, end quote. Um, it, it seemed like a rigged deal from the get-go. Um, so many special favors were done to Bally's. It just doesn't smell right to anybody. And I got the sense from the gaming board investigators, they were a little suspicious of it, too. Um, so this thing, I think once it's fully aired out and we know the full story, it's not going to be a good one. Um, but we're on the verge of having a really bad deal for taxpayers because City Hall blew through a really important decision-making process way too fast and with not nearly enough transparency. Um, and so given the fact that our pension system is riding on this revenue, um, I think the mayor made a really big mistake um, and should have done a much better job vetting these, these different casino applicants and should have allowed the city council to be a part of that process. He short she shortcutted the vetting process the council was to do by just simply announcing, I've decided Bally's gets the casino. Um, so it's a process that was upside down. Um, I don't think the taxpayer should have any faith in it. And here we are. We're now seeing Bally's as a weak candidate that may not be able to deliver. And that's a real shame. I mean, the numbers are staggering. I mean, Bally's had to pay only pay for one bid, right? Everybody all had to pay, put up, what, 300000 per bid. And they, they put up two, but some reason only had to pay one bid fee. So that stinks to begin with. And then I yep. think I learned last week that if this thing doesn't open and when it was scheduled to open, that the city's on the hook to for two ballys to make up for that lost revenue at, and, and to the tune of 80% of what was projected is, I mean, that's what I just saw reported, I believe last week. It, it sounds like exactly like the meter deal. Like the city is not going to come out ahead on this thing. Am I, am I wrong there? No, you're, no, you're absolutely correct. And the other little provision that people haven't looked at too much is that um, even though the Medina temple site in river North and the old Bloomingdale's um, Chicago temple building um, it's supposed to be temporary just for a couple of years. There are kickers in, in the contract that allow them to stay there three or four years longer than they're supposed to. So now there's a suspicion, will this then become the permanent casino? And I think anyone who lives in Chicago knows putting one there in the in the heart of, of River North between Ohio, Ontario, State, and Wabash, where we already have a huge crime problem, if that's the permanent casino, we're in really deep doo-doo. So, uh, yeah, this deal gets worse by the day. Um, and, again, um, I thank God for the press. Uh, Y'all have been doing a great job reporting on this. But, you know, I listen to the Wall Street investor calls. They've been down on this deal for a very long time. So I, I just don't see it. I think a really, really big mistake was made on this one. Well, part of the mistake was believing that Lori Lightfoot had the best interests of the city of Chicago before her, when in fact it seems like she had her own political, narrow, craven political interests before her. And one of those, one of these, the champion of craven political interests in Chicago, particularly as it applies to black elected officials, is L.Z. Higginbottom. Or her former opponent that she ripped to me publicly and Jeff Carlin publicly and all the listeners of the Chicago way 
and then cut a deal with them. Now, where does Elsie fit into all this nonsense? Well, I, I know that I, I don't know so much about his involvement, but I know that that Elsie has an incredible amount of uh, clout and friends here in Chicago. He's involved in a lot of big deals. Um, and I do remember when their life was was critical of him, um, but clearly, uh, <laughs> clearly they made up. Um, and I think that, that the mayor uh, kind of fell in line with a lot of the other political leaders in town and realized you just don't don't mess around, Mister uh, Mister Elsie. So uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, she fell in line to the tune of fifty thousand, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so back to the the the, the uh, subject at hand is the mayor's race. Obviously, you've come out and endorsed Paul Vallis. Anybody who listens or knows John and I are, are certainly in favor of that and him as the, as the candidate to run the mm-hmm. city. What are you seeing from the other candidates that is it just makes you pause about what they're saying about what the reality is in the city, whether it be crime or finances? Well, I think that, you know, the person who's speaking most articulately about the crime problem is Paul Vallis. Um, I would say the only other candidate who is speaking along the same lines uh, with Paul would be Willie Wilson. Um, but other than those two, um, nobody else is talking about the urgency to get crime under control. Um, the other candidates are focusing on the longer term investment solutions, which we be, we need to make those. Um, but we're mission critical right now. We're losing the war right now. Um, and we need to get folks working on crime immediately. Certainly, we need to make the long-term investments in struggling neighborhoods and, and give these kids hope and other opportunities economically and academically. Um, that's certainly one way you stabilize the problem. But that is the, that's the long road. Um, we need to do some things urgently and quickly now uh, because we can't keep going on this trajectory as a city. Um, and so um, Paul Vallis is someone who's frankly, going to have a morale boost with the rank and file day one um, because they support him. And they know as a mayor, he'll have their backs. And that is the most important thing to a police officer in Chicago when they go out and do that tough job is to know that if things get hairy, their mayor and their city will have their backs. Uh, And that has not been the case for the last four years. Um, And it shows morale is at an all-time low in the police department. We're seeing record retirements and just people quitting to work in other departments. Uh, and that's a real problem. And I think a, a candidate like Paul Vallis, who's going to treat these police officers well and let them do their jobs again, is just what the doctor ordered. Um, so if you care about crime and law and order, Paul Vallis is your guy. Um, you know, the other candidates, uh, you know, they are right in wanting to make longer term investments, but that's not going to help us in the next four years. That may help us in the next 20 or 30. Um, and so I think that's the key difference between between Vallis and, and, and the rest of the crowd. But we're seeing now, Alderman Riley, that the Democratic Party, even Vallis is reacting. He's reacting to uh, the FOP's meeting with Ron DeSantis. The, uh, I guess it's the, I don't know what, what group is really opposed, but it's obviously the Democratic left that's shrieking and crying and along with their friends in the media yeah. trying to drive him uh, into one camp or, or another. And, and my argument 
has always been, and based on, you know, only like 7,000 years of covering Chicago politics, <laughs> that uh, the obligation of the candidate, the, in this ca- case, Paul Vallis, or any other candidate, is to the people of the city of Chicago. And if he doesn't, and that means you've got to get through the runoff and you've got to get through the runoff in shape to win the general, which comes right up after. Mm-hmm. And if he's not doing that, if he's engaging in rhetorical traps with uh, with my good friends on the right or rhetorical threats with traps with my once former friends on the left, <laughs> um, that's really counterproductive to this, the candidate's desire. That's correct. Um, you know, no matter how you feel about DeSantis, right. I certainly got, I have my opinions. You know, he's running for mayor of Chicago. And the bottom line is the, the vast majority of Chicagoans aren't big fans of DeSantis. DeSantis has no role in the mayor's race whatsoever. Um, I think the timing of him showing up wasn't fortuitous. Um, and I think, you know, Paul uh, is a moderate. And Paul, I think, sees value in different parts of, of each of those platforms. But um, I think that, that denouncing DeSantis coming to town was the right thing for him to do. Um, frankly, Paul Vallis is of, of no use to anyone if he doesn't make the runoff, and even less use if he doesn't win the election. And, and so I'm one of those folks who really, really does want to see Paul Vallis be successful here um, because he's going to bring a lot of solutions to the city. Um, so people need to get away from the partisanship. Um, this is a nonpartisan race. You don't run as a Democrat or Republican for mayor or alderman. Um, but because his opponents see him leading in the polls, they're going to throw everything they possibly can at him, even if it's not all that credible. And, and that's exactly where we are right now at this stage in the campaign. And I think Paul needs to ignore that baloney and keep talking about people what they want to hear about, which is solutions for the city and especially a solution for crime. And he's been talking about these things. Let's talk about those things and not this nonsense partisan stuff. This is a nonpartisan race. You don't run as a Republican or a Democrat for mayor or city council. So right. this partisan nonsense has no place in this conversation. That's that's just my own opinion. Well, one thing that um, that does speak to desperation and political division is that no matter who is mayor, and I, of course I hope, Paul Ballas is mayor because I, without him, I don't see any chance of the city redeeming itself. Is is what happens afterward? The Cook County pre, pre, board president Tony Preckwinkle has her ally uh, Kim Fox, Jesse Smollett's favorite prosecutor, um, up in the Cook County board race. I mean, she's in the she's the Cook County state's attorney. And unless that's changed, I really don't see any. I mean, if we're just sitting around uh, the three of us at the Union League Club and we're just having drinks or at Skyline, which is one of my favorite clubs, and we're just having drinks and cigars and we could talk. um, I think any of us would be bringing up the fact that you can do all the police reform you want. But if you don't get a handle on the prosecutor's office, you really are you're climbing uphill and you're dragging a heavy burden climbing, going uphill. 
No, you're you're right. And actually, you know, the rank and file police call it the catch and release pro, uh, you know, <laughs> program where the cops they go out do the good work, catch the bad guys. Um, and then the prosecutor fails to do her job and prosecute the criminal. And they're released back onto the streets to keep doing the same thing. Um, I agree with you about Kim Fox, and I've been very public about it. Um, although I am a member of the Cook County Democratic Party, uh, I endorsed her Republican opponent, uh, O'Brien. Which is, which, is un, which is unheard of. And I was censured by the party for having done it. But I explained to my colleagues in the Democratic Party, they need to love their city more than their party. Amen. And this state's attorney has done irreparable damage to Cook County's justice system. Um, we've engaged in a failed political experiment with her. Um, and her decision to pick and choose which crime she prosecutes is insanity. And it sends a message loud and clear to the criminals in Cook County, there are no consequences, so why not step it up? And that's exactly what we're seeing happen now. Uh, and the cops are losing their minds. They're doing the good police work. <laughs> and then they hand them over to the state's attorney who lets more than half of them go. Uh, and then those who are prosecuted end up in front of horrific county judges who don't seem to not a sentence. Um, and again, they're back on the street. And, and so... The cops are forced to play whack-a-mole with a, with a shrinking police force, with low morale, and can you blame them? They're doing their part of the job. It's just no one else is, is holding up their end of the bargain by prosecuting and putting violent criminals in jail. Questioning, um, whether, so, or not, questioning whether or not Tony Preckwinkle had the uh, interests of the people of Cook County at heart cost me my job at the Tribune. I mean, they, they savaged me. The union savaged me, uh, calling me all sorts of names, anti-Semite being one of them, for daring to suggest that George Soros did not have the interests of the people at heart. But your your um, stand, Brendan Alderman Riley, your stand as a Democrat and a prominent Democrat to stand up against the chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party on an issue so fundamental to the people. Should have been, if I were the, uh, you know, if I were still there, I would have definitely lobbied for an editorial praising you. <laughs> John. Because uh, I, know, I know that editorials mean nothing, nothing, they're like scrap paper now. But well, I, I, I read them, I read the editorials, they, they mean something to me. And people should know your bravery on that issue. Well, well that, it was the right thing to do, John. You know, I, I, I know what the problem is, and she's a big part of it. And I would take any solution to, to erase that problem. So uh, for me, uh, I had no problem supporting that Republican if it meant that we were going to turn the needle on crime here. I'm desperate for, for a change, and, and I'm willing to do things like that to try and turn the needle on this thing. So um, I wish a few more of my colleagues had stepped up and helped me with that. Yeah, speaking of solutions, uh, Alderman, one of the things uh, yeah, I, I see all the time, people say, oh, you know, I don't know what the hell, who these judges are, who this judge is. You, do you care to name names on the judges you think are, are letting us down? Because they get voted for, they get, they sure. kind of do it behind a veil of anim- anonymity because who knows O'Shea's or Cannon's or whatever they are, everyone just votes for names, right? Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it goes. Even politicians just vote for names because no one has a clue what these people do. And unless you're a lawyer 
or chronically appearing in front of these judges because you've got some issues, um, you really aren't going to know who's the good ones and the, and the bad ones are. And, you know, the Cook County Democratic Party has its agenda, typically wants to elect Democratic judges who will fall in line between behind the chief judge, uh, Tim Evans. Oh, what a failure. And, and Tim Evans, you know, he's the big shot. He's the one who sets policy um, for the rest of the Cook County judges. I want to say this for the record. Tim Evans is one of the most lovely human beings you will ever meet. He's a very, very good person with some really bad politics. Yes. And unfortunately, his sentencing guidelines are the rule of law at the county court system. And unfortunately, um, they're more inclined to let folks go on electronic monitoring than anything else. And that's a system that's failing on its own because the Cook County Sheriff has not been given nearly the resources necessary to track all these folks on bracelets. And so we see a lot of folks out there committing crime with their bracelets on. Um, so it's an absolute disaster on every level. Um, and so, yeah, we, we had a chance to uh, replace the chief judge this past election. And yet again, you know, the uninformed electorate when it comes to judges didn't really know how bad it is. And so he got a pass. Um, and those policies continue for another four years. So um, you want to make some changes. You got to get yourself a new state's attorney in a year. And a few years after that, we need to take back the justice system. We need to take back these judges uh, who are going to be willing to do their job again and, and take criminals, especially violent ones, off the streets. And voters will be told if they don't want to retain liberal, lock, uh, let them go judges like Tim Evans, that they're racist and they should stay home or get hanged or hung or whatever <laughs> whatever Judge Pynchon said. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what we're facing. The the truth is, and this is why people come to this podcast. The truth is, we have there's a battle going on for mayor of Chicago. But as you so ably point out, after that. There's the battle for judges and state's attorney. And that's also going to be subject, unfortunately, to some ugly racial politics, just as Lori Lightfoot and Brendan Johnson and to some extent Chewy Garcia have opened the floodgates of racial politics now. And it's and it's all we're talking about is the future, the survival rate of the city of Chicago and Brendan, I don't know if the city will survive. Well, John, you know, you know, I'm an eternal optimist, and we are facing some incredible challenges. And the next mayor is going to have a handful, um, mostly because the current mayor um, left a lot of mess on the plate, right? Um, but uh, I think I'm seeing, at least in the polling and public sentiment that the, the the criminal justice pendulum is swinging back towards the middle. Um, it was super hardcore on the woke lefty side here for years, and we, we paid the price for that. Um, but I think anyone, no matter what neighborhood you live in, no, ma- no matter what color your skin is or, or what your gender is, again, any neighborhood in Chicago, people have had it with crime. People are scared in their neighborhoods whether they live in Chatham, Austin, Logan Square, or River North. Everyone feels the same fear. And it's my hope that that fear uh, motivates people 
to vote to make these important changes, starting with mayor and starting with Paul Vallis, but then carrying on that momentum into the state's attorney's race and these judicial races. If you really want to get the city back, those are the three areas you got to focus on. One we can correct this week or next week, I suppose. The, the other, uh, we, can, we, can, we can fix in a year. But, but all three of these legs of the stool need to be addressed. Or we're going to get more of the same. And to your point, John, the city cannot survive much more of this. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I'm up in the Andersonville area, and and the crime is 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 through the roof in a place where it's you know, normally very low and doesn't exist for the most part. We're one of the safest wards in the city, and it's it's you know, nerve wracking. It's well, everybody talks about it, and it's it's got to be addressed. And you're right, Paul's the guy to do it. Uh, but, well, before we let you go here, I, I wanted to ask you, last week we had Joe Ferguson on and we were talking about the charter for the city and kind of restructuring the way the city government works in a way to make it more democratic, to say the least. But part of that would be taking the power away from the mayor as the president of, of the city council and the one who, who essentially picks and chooses every committee and, and, and lays things, pushes through, through things like a casino deal or a meter deal. Mm-hmm. Have you followed any of that? And, and what's your take on that, if you have? I, I have followed it a bit. Um, I, not in great, great detail, but certainly have. Um, and I think Joe Ferguson's on to something. Um, you know, there are all different kinds of charters that could be set up. Um, I wouldn't want one so restrictive that we just hand over the entire thing to a city manager who isn't accountable to anybody in the electorate. But um, I think that the executive branch's powers should be curtailed. Um, and that has been how we've received these horrible public deals like the casino and, and, and like the parking meters. Um, there is a lot of power still centered in the mayor's office. Uh, and ironically, the mayor thinks that the city council has too much power. Um, and a charter would kind of set the rules of the road for both. Um, and I think that ultimately would be to the benefit of the taxpayer. Um, so you don't get these ramrod deals and these you know, clout-heavy uh, ordinances pushed through in, in the dark of night. Um, so I do think that, that Joe Ferguson's idea uh, has merit, and, and it should be seriously considered. I like Joe Ferguson. I like you. But I'm going to tell you, Paul Vallis, if he gets elected, has the labors of Hercules in front of him. Sorry to yeah. go the Greek thing. <laughs> and part of that is the cleaning of the Aegean stables. And the only way to do that is with uh, shovels and water. And uh, it can't, I don't think it can be done by committee. It has to be done by breaking elbows and driving people to do things that they would rather not do. But that's just me. Well, John, you know, Paul's a, you know him, I know him. Um, he's an incredibly capable guy, very smart guy, certainly the smartest guy running. Um, and he's going to know to assemble the best team possible, the, the best and brightest in Chicago um, to help right the ship. Any mayor is only as good as their team. Um, and I know that Paul and his Rolodex and his relationships um, are going to land him with a great cabinet. And you really need a great cabinet to deliver results. I also think that he'll put in the hard work to finally uh, d- develop a collaborative working relationship between the mayor's office and the city council. Um, he said that throughout this campaign. Um, and honestly, that's the right approach. You don't need to be, make enemies out of your legislative 
partners. You need to find a way to build bridges and, and consensus. That's leadership. Even if you don't like the people you're working with, you still yeah. need to get past that and find a way to get the work done. And unfortunately, Mayor Lightfoot took a very different approach, combative um, and burning bridges rather than building them. And it's we've seen how that works. You're right. She's failed us. And I, and it's good to hear that from somebody you know who's in, in, the, in, the, in the know and working with them. And, and Brent, I know we're taking a ton of, ton of your time, but I really appreciate it. And, you know, good luck in the fight in 42nd. I know you got a lot of work going on there. Yeah, yeah, we do. But we'll be working really hard to get the vote out for Paul Vallis. And hopefully that's enough. So uh, make sure everybody goes out and votes. It's important. Thanks, Brendan, so much. All right, guys, take care. Yeah, I know someone's okay, but I'm going to vote for them anyway. Any vote, any vote coming on the side side. For somebody not named Lightfoot, is a vote for Chewy Garcia or Paul Vallis. That's it. That's it. If you want them controlling your fate and your destiny, then stay home. Mm. Then don't vote. Or Brendan Riley, whose examination of the criminal justice system, the practical nature of it, Preckwinkle, Kim Fox, Vallis, all of that, and the and the uh, DeSantis piece, just brilliant stuff. And for Jeff Carlin, executive producer, WGN Radio, my friend, and future physics teacher. And for me, John Cass, editor-in-chief of John Cass News, your place for good common sense. The election is coming. The future of the city will be decided. Will you save your city? Thanks for joining us and see you again next week on another edition of the Chicago Way Podcast.